it was tough shit for Bolton at the Tough Sheet Stadium uh, on Tuesday night as the town came from a goal behind to win 2-1 and book our place in the fourth round of the FA Cup to uh, go through that game with me. I've got the Lutonian to journalist James Cunliffe. Um, ready to do this, James? You were planning that, weren't you? It's a long journey home, mate. <laughs> I had to do something. <laughs> Here's the intro. Hello everyone, welcome along to another episode of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. As I said before the intro, I've got the Lutonian journalist James Cunliffe with me and we're going to look back at Bolton 1, Luton Town 2, in the third round of the FA Cup replay. Before we go into the uh, game, James, we've actually got some correct scores to uh, yes give a shout out to. Before, First ones. Before we give a shout out to those, uh, Helen's so unlucky, just the width of the post away from getting a correct score on uh, her return to the podcast. But well done to uh, Keisha Jenner, 3573, and Gerard McMahon, 4712. It gave us the correct scores on YouTube in advance. Well done to you too. Your prize is purely pride, I'm afraid. But hey, there's a lot of it because no one else has got any correct scores. I've never got a correct score on this podcast, not once. And last podcast was actually our 50th one of the season, so... That's a pretty terrible record. So well done. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, what was that? Something like the 25th game, wasn't it? So, uh, yeah, well done to you two. So uh, before we cover the game, James, as we always do, let's have a look at the teams. And one player that we were all delighted to see on that team sheet was Reese Burke. So good to have him back. I don't know. I couldn't really work out if he was playing right back, right centre back, some sort of hybrid role, wherever he played in the pitch. It was so good to have him back. He'd done 65, 70, really good minutes. Uh, and it's a boost, not just because he's such a good player, but obviously in light of the fact that Mads Anderson has an injury now, uh, to have Reese Burke fit and firing is a huge asset. Yeah, big time. Um, yeah, we're big lovers of Reese Burke on this podcast. Um, it's just the fact that he hasn't managed to put together a significant string of games so far. He keeps getting injured after about the seven game mark. So hopefully that situation is resolved and we can um, see him have a good end of the, end of the season because, um, you know, a Premier League team with a Reese Burke uh, in the back line is, is a pretty decent one. Cold night had the potential for, you know, if you've got muscle trouble for them to seize up or whatever they do in the cold, but I mean, he was up and down that line like nobody's business, carrying the ball as Reese Burke does. That's why I couldn't work out if he was right back or right centre back. He was so far forward. Times I thought played football, Kev. Yeah, indeed, <laughs> hybrid sort of stuff. At times I thought he was right winger as well. He's just he's just so good to watch, isn't he? He's just so natural. It's just you just wish he had you know legs that stayed fit. Absolutely, um, yeah. But you know, if you, you think back to well, a very long time ago now, but you know, Pelly used to be so so injury prone, and then he got through that whether that's through his own work or whether that's through some medical um uh, magic then he just was mr ever present never missed a game didn't he so it can be done and so hopefully 
Uh, Reese Burke is one of those because to have Reese Burke as an option, um, it's mad. That was mad. I'm saying that to have Reese Burke as an option, whereas usually he'd be a starter. But that's the strength of the defensive unit at the moment. But to have him available to play uh, just gives so many more um, possibilities. Yeah, inject some of whatever it was Pelly had into Reese Burke's veins, and um, yeah, let's get that boy fit and firing fully for the Premier League games to come because they're starting to come thick and fast once again. Another one in the starting lineup, Pelly. Good to see him back. No Lukonga anywhere to be seen. No, nothing came of that after the game either. So I'm guessing he just had the night off and probably didn't fancy two trips to Lancashire in four days. And I can't blame him for that, having endured them both. Um, but yeah, Pelly in the centre of the park. Um, very good. Could have scored in the second half. Um, good all round game. Clicker also in the centre of the park, and Chong. We we asked, we wanted Chong to grab a game by the scruff of its neck from the start. I wouldn't say he grabbed it by the scruff of his neck, but he had a major impact in that first half in particular. Yeah, much improved performance from the off, really. And we, we we talked numerous times about how effective he is off the bench and how exciting he is and didn't really grab it uh, the last time around in the in, in the first um, iteration of the game. Um, but this time, yeah, I think he did. And that's, that's what you want, really. And I, I think... He knows what he probably has to do and he just ha- hadn't quite produced it, but hopefully now he has turned the corner. Yep, on the score sheet. And as we said in the lead up to this game, uh, important that players come on and impact the game when they get their chance. And Chong did that. Um, let's go on to the game then. James, it took about 10 minutes to realise that it's going to be a much better game of football than the first one. To be fair, 10 seconds probably would have been enough. It was that <laughs> bad first time around. I have to say... I was impressed with Bolton on the pitch, but off the pitch, I mean, considering they went to such lengths to get this replay and I've no problem with that whatsoever. And the the way that their chairman was talking up this replay, I was expecting a full house. People sat on the roof, couldn't get in for love nor money, barely half full. I mean, what was that all about? That was a bit disappointing. But actually, once the game started, they gave a lot more than what they showed at the Kenny and made for a better game, but probably benefited us in the same way. Yeah, I think so. Whether you know they would have wanted to put on a show for their home fans, however many there were, and it's a big old stadium, isn't it? For for what it is, I mean, I don't know the population of Bolton, but I can well imagine that Luton Luton's population is much bigger, and we've got a much smaller stadium. So sometimes these things don't match up some so much. And I mean, they've been in League One as well. We know we know lower down the leagues, it's easier to get tickets, and then higher up you get to the Premier League, there you can't get them for love nor money. So. It could be that. Um, it could just be that it was bloody cold. I mean, oh, it was definitely yeah, that. Yeah, could be that. Um, but yeah, I, I thought they they were much improved from that first game. They gave quite a good showing in the first half at the Kenworth, Kenworth Road, but after that, it was um, decent defending. You know, let's give them some credit that they kept looting out, but they didn't really offer anything. Whereas in this one, I think there was much more of a a goal threat. Yeah, there's much more of an intent from them as well, wasn't there? There was no time wasting from the goalkeeper or anything like that, like we saw at Kenworth Road. They pinged the ball about really well. Um, to be fair to them, they beat our press really, really well. Not many teams are doing that, even in the Premier League this season. So kudos to them for that. Ultimately, Premier League class shone through over the course of the 90 minutes, as you'd expect it to. We named a strong enough side like we wanted them to um, to do that, but... After 10 minutes, you're like, oh, not again. Not against lower league opposition again, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, first and foremost, the bloke's well offside in the build-up. 
had a by AJ. He's he's well offside. Um, I think that was referenced on the home radio commentary that I heard. Um, but then he beats Ted and Mengi, and credit where it's due. Not many have beaten Ted and Mengi this season, but beating all ends up. He slips over as well to compound the misery, and then the ball across and. Unfortunately, Burke couldn't quite get in front of um, Charles before he tapped it in. But I mean, to be fair, someone of that nature is not going to miss from there. No, um, you know, we highlighted him before um, the first game, which is why we were surprised that he didn't really have much of a sniff then, but much better in this one. And I think when anyone gets to the byline and you've got and and the game or the 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 players open up as in the way that it did because of that mistake, then any striker of any quality you'd be looking to knock that in from from that range and he's a he's a northern irish international so um it was quite <laughs> worrying when it um but at the same time luton have this mentality of well if you go behind they're just going to start again and try and score more than them uh, rob even said that in the um in the pre-match uh to me to one of my questions and um i think that's a that's a good quality the thing about cup football, I suppose, is if the longer it goes on where you're behind, the more heart the lower league team get and the more difficult it is, the more, you know, maybe panicky you might get to to score. So to to cancel that one out within or four minutes was a welcome relief. Yeah, it really was. Uh, at the time, I was wondering what the hell I was doing in Bolton. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it was good to cancel it out because we saw in the first game exactly what was going to happen the longer... Um, that that went on at 1-0 and I don't know was it overconfidence on their part from trying to play out they made an absolute pig's ear of it didn't they Barkley got an interception in ball fell to um, Jordan Clark rolled a lovely ball into Heath Chong didn't panic when the opportunity looked like it was closing down waited for the defender's legs to open up put the ball in and I think Baxter would have been unsighted so you can't really say too much about um, the goalkeeper in that situation but just a really good finish many a player would have just lashed at it and um either been deflected or blocked or whatever. But he waited, Chong, he knew that the opening would come and then he just put it in the bottom corner. It was, the finish was good. Um, but I think it's the pass that gets him there that is the key there, that that's the benefit of having a fit Jordan Clark uh, on a pitch or on a bench to come on because he can unpick defences like that. We saw it loads of times in the championship um, and it was just, you wouldn't say it was inch perfect, but it got through their defence and that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to, you know, have that penetration, get them on the turn. Um, and yeah, full credit for Chong for for having the confidence to, to shoot when maybe like a second earlier, you'd thought maybe the chance has gone. Turned into a right old cup tie from there as well, didn't it? They had shots flashing past our goal. We had shots flashing past their goal. Clicker had a shot saved. Morris maybe could have done a little bit better with a chance. Not too dissimilar to the one Chong scored, actually. Um, And a couple of other sort of shots whizzing here, there and everywhere. Um, But it was a really good game of football to watch. Um, But you kind of felt that once we got that equaliser, we would have the better side in the game. Yes, they they got forward on the counter-attack a few times. They had that silly shot from the halfway line as well, didn't they? I must admit, Tim Krug did give me the heebie-jeebies a couple of times. I hate a goalkeeper who has to bounce everything before he catches it. Mm-hmm. Just catch that sodding thing, please. I've got fear that when they bounce it, it'll hit their foot or something can go in or something. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just catch it. Especially that one from the halfway line. He had, you know, half the night to track the 
pace of that and just just catch it. Wow, I mean the in the in the highlights and I think the home commentary overegged that far more than it it was worth. I think. I mean, I don't think that he was in any danger of that beating him. It got to the he got to the line, fair play, but he was never scrambling back to the point where that you know he was in dire straits there, cruel. Yeah, no, he was always in control of the situation. As soon as he did actually catch it after he bounced it, he rolled the ball out to Mengi pretty much straight away. So it was almost like he was looking at who to pass the ball to whilst the ball was still coming to him. So no real problem with that. We get to half time, um, two changes at the break. Ryan Charles Ed Ryan Charles Ryan Giles comes on for Alfred Doughty on the day that lots of rumours surfaced that he could be going on loan to Cardiff. I believe that's not true. Um and then Amari Bell came on for Ted and Mengi. Poor old Ted. He had an absolute shocker, didn't he? Hasn't had a shocker in a Luton shirt. He was due. And, um, well, I suppose if you're going to do it, make sure you do it in a game that carries little less significance than the normal ones. But to be fair to him, he was on the left-hand side of whichever back formation we were. And he didn't really adapt too well, did he, on the course of the night? Obviously slipped with a goal. Then for some reason dived in on a bloke and got himself a yellow card when he was going away from goal. It was just one of those nights to forget for poor Ted. So uh, Amari Bell came on and immediately we looked so much more secure at the back. Yeah, we did. Um, I mean, that's that's his quality, I suppose, isn't it? I think he gets overlooked quite a lot, Amari Bell, um, about his defensive abilities. But he really, certainly last season, really stepped up to be a centre-half when they were playing the three anyway. And, um, you know, he's not got the skipper's armband when Morris is not on the pitch for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, that's exactly it. Huge figure in the dressing room and probably written off because of the way some of the goals went in early in the season. But we were a bit wet around the sort of ears then, weren't we? We're we're much better now and not many goals go in sort of directly in his sort of path. So uh, yeah, fair play to Amari for... um, Improving. Uh, Ryan Giles, big impact in the what turned out to be the winning goal. Recycled the ball, pushed it into Morris. Lovely little turn. Soaring past Santos. Rolled the ball across. One of them was going to put it in, wasn't it? Either Clicker or um, Ogbeni. Turned out that it was Ogbeni. Wasn't going to miss from there. Just a really, really good team goal, actually. I love those sorts of goals. And also, uh, because of that ball has gone in that area of the box so many times not necessarily from Morris mainly for a lot of time from Doughty but Morris knows where it needs to be because he's a striker and there's no one there to put it in or they've not read the situation we talked about the last Premier League game where Elijah didn't quite read one and what was that against my, my yeah, yeah last one against yeah. Burnley yeah. I didn't quite read it at the back post um, and to, so to have put two players in there that's I think um Probably a bit, a bit of coaching to tell them to get in there. I know they've um, constantly doing work on that to get those players in there, um, certainly from the wide positions, because, you know, if the strikers are out of position, then they need the wide players need to come in a little bit. And you'll get goals because the amount of balls that are going in the box. And, um, yeah, they because they put so many balls in the box, they do need to you know, be better at converting them. But that was a, it was a lovely goal. You don't miss that. No, you really don't. <clears throat> Prior to that, I don't know how we didn't score. Clicker had a scuffed shot that hit the post, hit the goalkeeper on the arm, somehow made its way out to Chong. Goalkeeper made a good save, to be fair to him. Really good save, actually. And then it fell out to Pelly, who hit a really venomous shot. Unfortunately, it was straight at him. But it was like pinball in there for a minute. Surely someone's got to score. And then 
they nearly went up the other end. And but for Ross Barkley, who we've waxed lyrical about from an attacking standpoint this season, but for Ross Barkley being on the ball defensively, Charles would have had a tap in to put them 2-1 ahead. Taking one for the cause, out not it? I mean, we know that he loves the place and he, he's he got a new lease of life here, but if anything shows you it other than silky 60-yard raking passes, it's lobbing your body in the way of a clear goal-scoring chance, then it's that one. And uh, yeah, you'd have to see it really because that yeah, he gets talked so much about what he does with the ball. But he's he's an all-round midfielder, isn't he? Let's be, let's be fair. He's a great player. He is. You know, we just want him for his offensive stuff, really. But if he's going to do that defensively as well, then you're talking about one of the best players in the Premier League, aren't you? Even if he's playing for Luton. Um, and yeah, it was fantastic just reading the game. And actually the way he just did it nonchalantly, got up, cracked on. And then, you know, 10 minutes later or whatever it was, we're ahead in the game. And you kind of felt we were going to hold on. I know they had a goal disallowed for offside, which took an absolute age for the linesman to work out what had happened. But when he did work it out, I think he's got it right. I think Charles is offside. I don't know if Charles needed to touch it. That was day, <clears throat> it was down the other end of the pitch from me. don't know if the ball was going in anyway, but once he's touched it, he is offside. Thankfully, they've communicated and they've got to the right decision. And from there onwards, really, I think they had one shot that Krull managed to catch. But once Jerome and Bod Varson came on, the ideas sort of ran out quite quickly, really. They did. I think the touch from Charles was necessary to get the ball in. I think otherwise that, that bamboozles cruel to a certain extent. Otherwise, I think it's a straight catch to get to get the ball, or gather the ball at least. But um, yeah, fair play for them to, for, for getting that. We, um, we're not used to that anymore, are we? Where a liner just makes a proper decision, but um, you couldn't really see it on the TV angle. But uh, you know, I, I, I take it from lots of people's views that it probably just, it was off just, but um, you know, for a, you know, couple of seconds you were fearing the worst weren't you I bet you was as well yeah it was more <laughs> your, than a couple your of toes. seconds well I think what actually happened was Tim Crawley goes over to Lino he says look mate if you let this goal in we've got another half an hour and it's freezing cold and the <laughs> Lino was like you're damn right right flag's going up I'm only joking that's not what happened um obviously the referee told the linesman that Charles did get the touch I would imagine from the side on angle linesman didn't know if he touched it or not and then once the referee's informed him that he got the touch, he's informed the referee that he's offside, which I think he is offside. He's the only person in six-yard box when the shot happens. And um, so be it. I mean, even if he's not offside, as I say, the first one was. So what you gain on the swings, you lose on the roundabout. Yeah, and they should have had a penalty against him in the first uh, game, which would have prevented them getting back up to the old uh, tough sheet stadium. Well, according to some of the commenters on our um, review of that first game. But hey, you know. I mean, yeah, one person did remark that it can't have been a penalty. I think I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But it can't have been a pe- penalty because the Luton players didn't make much of, weren't asked about it so much. I'm like, well, that's not in the laws, is it? It's not about whether a player's asked about it. It's whether they've been impeded and, he, you know, he was. Well, they, yeah, they the didn't appeal because it was so bloody obvious that they just expected that it would be given. And hey-ho, it wasn't. We had to go up. Into freezing cold temperatures, snow and all of that. But it's character building for the boys. They got the win. Come from behind win, which would make it even more important. And um, kind of live to fight another day, really. It was a cup tie, though, that I've no doubt we'd have lost in recent seasons. Especially when yeah. we won one, when we went 1-0 down. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that, that Luton now have this no. It's, it's it's not a fearful thing when it goes when we go behind. I mean, it, for so long, I mean, it it felt like forever. Um, as a Nathan Jones team, you went behind, you knew you won't get back into it. And believe me. I don't leave football matches early. It's just something I don't do. But last night was so cold. If Nathan Jones was managing us and we went 1-0 down, I was off ski because <laughs> we weren't coming back and I weren't going to turn into an Eskimo for, to sit there and watch that. No chance. But this team, you feel more confident about them, don't you? There's calmness to them. There's a let's not panic, build our way into the game, take our chances, be ruthless. Something that we've actually re- really got good at in recent times in terms of shots on goal to goal ratio. Whereas at the start of the season, it was an absolute mess, mm. wasn't it? Um, and now we're just, it's just all of these signs of, I mean, they call it incremental improvements. It's actually huge improvements when you think how quickly it's coming along. You know, we're only talking five months since that Brighton game to where we are now. Um, full credit to everyone involved. And especially as it's not the same eleven. It's, it's these sort of fringe players doing it as well. It just shows that the training is exceptional. That, but also the, they've got the evidence of, um, what is it now, 14 goals in the last 10 minutes? Might even be 15. Um, 14 get, in the Premier League. Yeah, yep. 14 in the Premier League. Um, and if you've got that in your locker, you know that the game's not done. It's, it's if, you're, if you're struggling for goals in the second half, then you'd be fearful, but... That's where Luton do, seem to be doing most of their business, really, in the latter stages of the games. And that's, you know, down to fitness, but it's also down to desire, really, isn't it? And, um, you know, that's that's what football fans want, you know, first and foremost out of every football player that they go to pay money to see, isn't it? Desire. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's the thing you can guarantee, isn't it? You can't guarantee results. You can't guarantee that passes and shots and everything else. But the one thing you can guarantee is your own mental, your own attitude. And to be fair, these boys have never ever or should never ever be questioned on that because they prove it time and time again uh, that theirs is perfect. Um, it was good to see Jacob Brown as well. He came on for the last 20 or 25 minutes or so. There was talk about a knee injury, wasn't there? Although he was suspended for the uh, last game anyway. There was talk about a knee injury in, in amongst the situation. He looked fine when he came on. So um, that's good going forward. It just gives him even more options because we're now going to play three games in a week, aren't we? Whoever it is in the fourth round, we've got them on the Saturday, Brighton. Tuesday, Newcastle on the Saturday. So the more options he's got for those three games, the better. Yeah, absolutely. And um, ones that can run as much as Jacob Brown are going to be key. Um, certainly when you factor in the way Luton want to press and be be aggressive, he's he's quite um, an unsung hero in that regard, I'd say. Yeah, he is. He absolutely is. And of course, Elijah came off the bench as well. As I say, only kind of concern with Sambi Lakonga, but I I've not heard anything to suggest that there's any issues there. So maybe he just had a night off and we've got enough midfield options now. Fair enough. I mean, he's had to come back and play so many games when perhaps they would have eased him in a bit more if Marvellous hadn't been out, wouldn't he? Because he had a couple of months out with that injury himself. So I think it's probably just sensible to wrap him up in a bit of cotton wool. Yep, that's it. And and if there was something wrong with him, he's got 11 days now to get it right, hasn't he, before... Uh, an FA Cup game. So we now know then, obviously, that the reward for winning the game is a second trip of the season to Goodison Park. Already won there once this season. Happy enough to be going back? Happy enough. I probably would have preferred Palace uh, a little more because um, who knows whether this latest round of um, uh, Everton bashing because of their finances 
uh, will will result in more sort of seeds mentality as it did before when they went on a bit of a run, racked up some points, although um, Luton have reeled them in a bit since, so uh, in the league at least. But um, yeah, that that remains to be seen. I mean, there's no fear from going up there. Um, done it once, do it again. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's going to be. I think it'd be more of a focus for the players in terms of how they tackle the match because as as Rob, Rob spoke about after the Bolton one that maybe they were slightly off it psychologically because of the fact of, of it being a lower league opposition and with Premier League you really know what you have to do which is be completely completely at it so um, yeah I mean wasn't wasn't too bothered about who it was going to be really when we knew there was it, it when the when that game went to a replay, but um, yeah, we'll take it, mate. Yeah, beat them once. No reason why we can't go and beat them twice. No Ross Barkley when we beat them first time round. Oh, love that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, he was obviously injured for that time. Actually, they were talking, weren't they, that he might have been fit for that game. But it, I think he started. I think the Forest game was the one that he came back on, wasn't it? And um, can yeah. you can you imagine like? Him going back in the full mix in now and showing them what they missed. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Well, he's not the only former Everton player in our squad that wasn't around at that time either because Andros Townsend is also here as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, Obviously, the last club he had, if we take Burnley out of the equation, was Everton. So um, I, don't, I don't think he'll have any ill feeling towards them. It was just he was injured and they needed to free up the space in their 25-man squad and had to let him go. Yeah, I don't think it would be the same as properly wanting to show Burnley what they've missed, but you still want to go to your old club and, and do the business, wouldn't you? So yeah, that's um, yeah. Actually, now you mention it, now you put it like that, I'm coming around to the idea of Everton rather than Crystal Palace. I mean, to be fair, Townsend w- was on a winner either way in terms of the old club stakes because he played for Palace as well, and <laughs> yeah. they say we're going to go right through this FA Cup competition, and he's going to have a who's who of who we've played, who he's played for in the past. But yeah, there's just something about that, isn't there? Barkley back at Everton. I mean, they'll give him a good reception. They loved him, didn't they? To be fair, he, his career lost its path after he left there, not whilst he was there. So um, that'll be good. He'll deserve that, you know, four ends of the ground, rooting for him and um, wishing him well. And obviously I don't think they'll have any ill feeling towards Andros, but it'd be great to see how those two can improve us from when we were there the first time, because we were kind of hanging on a little bit, but not to the extent that I was really worried they were going to score. It was just we hadn't won a game and we were so desperate to. Well, yeah, a different animal now, aren't they? Particularly when you add those two players into the mix. And um, yeah, it's going to be quite, quite, I'm quite up for it now. <laughs> now I'm talking about it. Uh, yeah, let's, let's get that one and let's hope they're both ready and raring to go. And um, yeah, I think uh, well, you, you did a Everton preview podcast with one of their um pod, uh, one of their podcasts didn't you about and they were talking about Ross Barkley and what what he could possibly do and back then it was all ifs and buts and could coulds and shoulds and stuff but now it's definitely Ross Barkley for England isn't it? so it'd be great to see him up there yeah it would uh, hopefully it's a warmer trip up the M6 than it was on Tuesday night that is for sure I'd be surprised if it's colder I don't know the fixture date yet um likely to be week Saturday though because the Liverpool game's been selected for TV hasn't it on the Sunday and 
I don't think Everton and Liverpool will play at home on the same day. I could be wrong. Keep checking all of the official um, sites and things, but I would be surprised if it's not the Saturday or certainly not the Sunday anyway. It won't be the Sunday because Liverpool are at home. So um, yeah, week Saturday, trip to Everton, fourth round of the FA Cup. We can go there with the confidence that we can beat them. And uh, that's a big thing because we saw West Ham come a cropper last night to Bristol City. Obviously, Premier League teams are going to go out in the next round. You've got Tottenham v Man City in the next round. So that's not just a Premier League team, but a potential winner of it disappearing. You've got Chelsea, Aston Villa, another potential winner of it disappearing. Ourselves, if we're through into the fifth round, we've knocked a Premier League team out. So all of a sudden, they're falling by the wayside. You're going to get into the last 16. There ain't many Premier League teams left in this thing. All of a sudden, the doors open up and Europe might be beyond us in the league this season, but not necessarily in the cup. Yeah, and that's when it starts to get interesting, I think. Um, you know, I don't want to talk too far ahead. Rob was um, obviously disappointed with some of the aspects of teams play yesterday. They were quite sloppy. Bolton had a, a lot of the play as well. It made it a decent and entertaining cup final where Luton didn't really have the control they probably were after. He called it sloppy and did acknowledge that probably psychologically the mentality is not quite you know, spinal tap turned to 11 that is in the Premier League. It is a little bit dulled by um, the FA Cup, but that feeling will change, I think, the more the more rounds you can get through. Yeah, he also alluded to the fact that he's delighted that we've got a Premier League team in the next round because he knows that we'll have to be up for it to get something out of that game. I can understand that, really. I mean, it was, even though, you know, it was a big game for them in terms of lower league against Premier League, the atmosphere was quite sterile. I mean, it's freezing cold. I'm not complaining, you know, I'd have thought most people were wearing gloves, so it's hard to get like clapping going and everything like that. So the atmosphere was kind of plain, freezing cold. Then it started snowing, Mm. kind of like, get us out of here, really. So I understand why the attitude might have been a bit indifferent. I thought it was better last night than it was against Exeter. And it was a hell of a lot better than it was against Grimsby last season. So they're learning it. Yeah, I mean, but you've got to look at all those games and see what's the common denominator. And it is probably that it's lower league teams and you're not really as interested. I know everybody will say, oh, the next game is the most important game, all all these football cliches that come out. But we're all human as well. Even fans weren't probably up for it as much. Uh, And that's just to be expected because of the the wild ride that has been the last year. Um, so it's understandable, but, uh, you know, the, it, definitely the, the, the further you go into this competition, uh, the the more focus there will be on it. That's it as far as the game's concerned, but it's been a busy week. As I suspect, it's going to be a busy month, really. Uh, let's cover a couple of um, topics. We will go into all of the sort of outside football topics in a deep dive, which will come out early next week. We're going to have a very special guest joining us for that. So we'll get some inside info uh, on some of the stuff that's going on, but we'll quickly reflect on two pieces of news that's happened this week. The first of which Tom Holmes has joined um, from Reading. Um, only Tom Holmes. Though. There was talk of a double deal. I think there's I think the other guy has um, got another offer somewhere else, but that's to be uh, determined. But for the moment, Holmes already scored for Luton, so he should fit in pretty well. <laughs> he was wearing a Reading shirt at the time, maybe even better. Um, Rob seems very impressed with him. They've chased him for a long, long time as well. They have. They wanted him when they were in the championship. Um, 
and yeah, it's 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 not a surprise one, is it? It's been well documented because of the situation coming out of Reading, where they're in dire straits and sixes and sevens, and the the director of football and the manager, I don't think he knew anything about it and that sort of stuff. So, um, it's a good move for the player. It's a good move for Luton. Don't think Reading fans see it quite quite that way, but um, you know, we've we've certainly been in their position. Yeah, I mean, if you're a Reading fan, keeping your club alive is more important than who's playing for it at the moment, unfortunately. And we wish them well in their quest to do that, and would obviously support all of the um, protests that they're um, that they're going through at the moment, uh, and hope that it has a a good resolution. Yeah, obviously, the vultures circle at this stage, don't they? But at least we've been good enough to give him back to them for the rest of the season, so they're not going to be cut short this season. Well, exactly. Nobody. Nobody loaned back Kevin Nichols or Chris Coyne or any of those no. players. They're row and vine. They all went on their way. And then we had to go all the way down to rock bottom and beyond and build back up again. So um, hopefully that doesn't happen to a- any set of fans, really, because it's not the fan fault. But, um, you know, if if it takes protest, if it takes you to stop games like that, then I'm all for it, really. Absolutely, yep. Fans uh, need to be heard. That's um, for sure. Yeah, so Tom Holmes has come in, undisclosed fee. He'll go back to Reading for the rest of the season. As I say, Reading get their players, so nothing's really lost from their point of view. Yes, we're going to have got him a bit cheaper than what we might have done another time. That's just the unfortunate way of the horrible football world. But on the bright side, you've not got to watch Chris. I've never been relegated Perry for the rest of the season like we had to. So, um, you know, every cloud has a silver lining and all of that. The other thing that's been released actually in the hours leading up to us recording this podcast, James, the town have released their accounts for the year end 2023. Some of the numbers are astronomical, Um, not in a negative way, just in the size way. And it really rams home the Premier League when you compare it to the championship numbers. If you're kind of unsure exactly what they mean, check out Kieran Maguire on Twitter. He's done a thread about the accounts and why they're good and why they're bad and why they're indifferent. They're actually not that bad. There's a couple of losses that are substantial. But what people have got to remember is the year end for a football club's accounts, or Luton Town in this case, is the 30th of June. So in effect, before the transfer window opens in the summer. So all of the kind of spending, there's a £22 million transfer figure that uh, that's going to be added to the next set of accounts. That's basically what we spent in the um, summer transfer window. But there's also a seriously big hike on what they call wages in there. And um, that's not Luton buying their way out of the championship that's not Luton blowing the wage budget or anything like that. That is simply every single one of those contracts will have had a quite hefty promotion bonus, which is why we're able to attract these players on the wages that they're on. They all could, um, got their promotion bonus at the same time and it went into last season's account. So basically, while we're not complaining, Fancati Dabo's penalty that landed somewhere <laughs> in Timbuktu cost us in the region of 15 million quid in promotion bonuses. Yeah, it did. And then you add on to the fact that uh, Luton then have to pretty much redevelop Kenilworth Road just to um, make sure they can get into the Premier League. It's a big outlay in big in one small chunk of the summer, really. But um, yeah, I mean, we, well, we knew 
from um, early in the season. I think maybe even uh, the playoffs. I think when Gary Sweet did a did some press before the final, talking about the finances of it. That it doesn't. If you get through, um, sorry, if you if you get to the Premier League, it doesn't all come in one big lump sum, and it doesn't all come at the start of the season as well, and it sort of trickles through a bit. But um, Luton, are, Luton are very well off from this promotion. In, in terms of their entire history of finances, um, not against the likes of um, the big boys, obviously, but there's it, it looks a bit worrying, doesn't it? But I don't, it, there isn't really anything to worry about. But I can understand people's um, nervousness about, it, obviously, because of the situation of where where we've come from fifteen years ago, sixteen years ago. Um, but that, that wasn't this lot. They're in charge, was it? They know what they're doing. Yeah, don't be as nervous as perhaps the numbers would lead you to be. The dates are the important thing with this. All of the accounts, the year-end account was the 30th of uh, of June. So when we get promoted on May the 27th, that's five weeks of Bobber's work going in there with no Premier League money. The Premier League money starts filtering through in July. So that'll go on the 2023-24 accounts, not the... um, 2223 accounts. So you've got the promotion bonuses, which basically kick in the very second that that penalty clears the crossbar. In effect, obviously, it don't get paid until everyone's had a few champagnes and <laughs> settled down a bit, naturally. And then you've got the Bobbers redevelopment as well, which was going on towards 10 million quid. So that's basically 25 million quid from a kick of a football that we cannot recover until the Premier League money comes through. It just so happens that the dates of the accounts fall smack bang in between one and the other. So when the accounts balance themselves out next season, you're going to see Luton's finances in a much, much, much more stable position. So if you're worried about sort of things like PSR and points deductions and all of that, you don't need to worry because it's all in hand. It's literally just the dates that the accounts have got to be finalised really. And and they have to finalise them then. Otherwise there is further sort of regulatory punishments. So they're just doing everything on board and they've just been honest, which not everyone is in football. And it just means that it looks bad, but it's not actually that bad in reality. It's not. You probably always got, also probably got a factor in they've moved substations and stuff. And that's a big expensive piece of work to get power court even beginning. And I know people are really desperate for news about power court, but those things uh, the foundations of it are really important to get done. So that was a massive delay in the whole process moving that thing. So God knows how much that's cost and whether those, whether those go on these accounts or not, I don't know, but there's a lot of outlay going out, but there will be a lot, lot coming back in as well. Yep. And of course it's not just the bobber stand, new floodlights, new media area, literally everything at Kenilworth Road that pretty much will have gone on those accounts that you saw and Premier League money comes on the sort of next set of accounts. The figure that's interesting me, though, bearing in mind that we, the number's kind of 100 million that you get for the Premier League. That's the sort of generic one with the parachutes after it, which hopefully we won't need. So let's say we get 100 million from the Premier League. We spent 22 million on transfer fees. It says it there in black and white. It's crazy that we're going to potentially stay up in this league having spent 22 million of the 100 million pot, of course, the rest of the pot's going on power court and the stadium and everything that we all know. But it's madness, isn't it? When you think that every single week we're coming up against teams that are bringing a 50 million pound player on and our entire summer spend was 22 million. That 22 million, just to sort of cover that a little bit, I think the figure that 
most people kind of had was 20 million. You've probably got to factor in things like signing on fees for free transfers, which wouldn't obviously come in a transfer budget. Mm -hmm. Things like add-ons. So when we got promoted, Barnsley probably would have had an add-on from Carlton Morris as part of the deal and that kind of thing. That's where the extra two million will have come from. But it's madness that we're as competitive as we are on 22 million quid compared to what everyone else is spending. Particularly this week in, when we've seen charges put forward for Everton again and Nottingham Forest, um, it's, it, it's mind boggling the way that they've managed their finances. And I don't know, I can't really understand why anyone's really up in arms about it because um, the, the rules are there. And it, if you've not lived by them and played by them, then you're going to get stung really. And um, th <laughs> those two, those two clubs could have a massive impact on whether Luton do stay up. Um, you know, I think the purist would say they want to do it all on, on your own, but every little helps, eh, Tesco? You know what I mean? The purists would. The Luton fa sorry, the football fan in me would. But if these teams are cheating, then I don't give a shit if we stay up because they're punished for cheating because yeah. we're not cheating and we're just showing that you can do this without cheating. The best one is the Knott's Forest fans. I mean, they're a precious <laughs> bunch anyway, aren't they? And yeah. we've had our run-ins with them this season. But, oh, but we sold Brennan Johnson at the end of the transfer window. Well, it doesn't matter. The date is the 30th of June, not yeah. the 1st of September. You didn't sell him by the 30th of June, so he can't go in last year's accounts. He'll have to go in next year's accounts. If you wanted to sell him by the 30th of June, you should have bloody sold him by then. You didn't. Well, You're going to get punished for it. Exactly. And Gary O'Neill, the Wolves boss, has already come out, hasn't he, and said that you know players were having to be sold in the summer and that's so they would come under the threshold of PRS. So, um, you know, that's a football club managing their finances just enough well <laughs> I hit those terrible grammar for me that managing them well, well enough. enough um but they're still like shelling out loads of money but they recognize that that's what they have to do and if you have to sell one of your best players or a couple of your best players to to do it then that's the hole you've dug for yourself really isn't it um you know newcastle by all accounts can't buy any players because they'd be falling foul of this and Arsenal too. Uh, Arsenal and you know Newcastle's chairman has just been charged with not that this will affect the club, but just sort of shows the people that you're dealing with, and it is only a charge, so it's alleged, but been charged with fifty-eight million pounds of uh, skullduggery. So um, that that's the that's the Shark Tank we're swimming in at the moment. Yeah, that's the horrible world of football. Uh, to be fair to Gary O'Neill as well, he actually said in that sort of snippet of interview, "Don't expect no January signings because." we've still got to sort our finances out to allow us to be able to spend. But the good thing from their point of view and actually hearing him speak, I kind of hope that they do all right for themselves because they're obviously trying to do it the right way. Now, the good thing from their point of view is they've got enough points with the players that they've got, that they're not going to be in any danger like Everton and Forest have spent God knows how much and they're still crap. Mm. These guys have sold their best players, but they've still got, the players that they are playing well enough to do. And again, it just shows you don't have to spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of quid. You just got to have a damn good manager who's damn good at coaching those assets that he's got. And it leads you to success. Whereas the yeah. two clubs that we've mentioned, maybe not so much Forrest because Steve Cooper is a good manager, just obviously working under a basket case. But Everton, they haven't had a good manager in God knows how long in terms of the modern way. 
They spent all of this money on players. They sack these managers regularly who then want to begin the cycle again. And then they wonder why they're getting charged every time. It's just, it's not rocket science, Lance. No, it's not. And I think now you can safely say that Gary O'Neill's a good coach because he's done it at Bournemouth and he's been doing it at uh, Wolves under the um, auspices of having to sell best players as well. So, you know, that's what you have to do. Um, stop getting in journeymen that haven't cut it before. Um, be brave like Wolves have um, and like Luton have, obviously. And um, have, a, have a decent plan and stick to it. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's more than one way to skin a cat in football. And when it comes to finances, I much, much prefer the fact that this club does it well. More Luton, more Wolves, less Everton, less Forest in the world, basically. Yeah, and if if the two of those teams happen to finish below Luton, more more better, really. Kind of be calmer, wouldn't it, if Luton stay up after 30 points of deductions from other teams after 30 points of deductions kicked us out of this league? Maybe the football gods have finally come to repay us. It would be sweet, sweet uh, returns that if that happened... Um, uh, It'd be a shame to lose the song, uh, and maybe you won't, because never forget, eh? But um, yeah, it would... While this flag's behind us, we're not forgetting. Exactly. It it would go some way to redressing the balance, at least, wouldn't it? It would indeed, yeah. And another season of Premier League football would be lovely, because judging by the finances in this league, these two ain't the only ones that are going to cop it. Based on that summer transfer window, £2.2 billion worth of players were spent and we only... Contrib- and that was just Chelsea. And we, <laughs> and we only contributed £22 million of that. <laughs> don't know what the other 19 yeah. clubs were buying. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Also interesting that uh, Manchester City got a date for their... No one knows it. No one knows it. No, definitely. But apparently it's been, it's there. Some Somebody's got it written did on the back of a fag packet. Did you see the Richard Masters thing to the DC I don't, I don't want to watch that sort of nonsense, to be honest. Well, nor do Everton and... Notts Forest fans because he came out and he said small clubs like Notts Forest and Everton. I mean, Christ, I've got I've been slaughtered for calling Notts Forest a few things on this podcast, but he must be copping dogs abuse for calling them a small club. I mean, they're only champions of Europe twice. To be fair to him, you know, small club. Yeah. That's the head of the Premier League calling them that. Well, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> Show me a man not fit for purpose, please. Well, yeah, I mean, they're going to change the rules at some point, aren't they? But um, Hopefully it's not to the detriment of allowing clubs to get away with ridiculous, ridiculous spending. It, it, I think to our Luton minds, it, it's beyond belief that you could be in the Premier League and be in a situation that, that, that they are in. It really boggles them the brain because every other club in the world is trying to get promotion um, and, and achieve and do better the ultimate goal of trying to reach the top otherwise what's the point in being in football and being in a sport that rewards you for uh, success then but if if the if the goal of it is to get there and then you are still in the shit i don't know what world we are in upside down completely i mean i've said it in previous podcasts i don't understand how you could be in the shit anyway because over a three-year period you're allowed to lose 105 million which isn't an insignificant sum. It's £105 million. Now, in that three-year period, you're also given £300 million for £100 million each year. So, in effect, to fall foul of the works, you've got to have done yourself up by £405 million in a three-year period. 
I mean, Jesus, Lord. Yeah. It, it, it just blows my mind. It does. And even the, the, the figures that came out when they're talking about sort of match day revenue, I mean, that really hasn't changed much because we know it, it, can't, it can't because of the limited um, limited scope to improve that with Kenworth Road. That's one of the major reasons for going to power court. I mean, even with the, the bobber stand and stuff, but some of the Premier League clubs can make almost what Luton do in a game or two, match day revenue. And I know that's small fry compared to the TV money, and maybe even the sponsorship money they get elsewhere. But surely you can make that work. If you want to, there's just not a will to do it, is there? That's the that's the overriding problem. Yeah, I think in one of the messages he put on that thread, Kieran Maguire said that our annual turnover in terms of revenue was the equivalent of one Man United home game, which just shows you exactly where we're at in this league. <laughs> we're making a whole season's worth of ticket sales, effectively, the same as what Man United would get from one home game. But we're doing it the right way. That's the main thing. So the overriding thing with these accounts, just to go back to the original topic, yeah, the numbers look eye-watering um, and the size of the numbers have grown significantly because of the league that we're in. But there is no need to kind of panic. Everything's on course. Come to the twenty three, twenty four accounts and... I'm assuming they're not going to blow 75 million quid in this transfer window. <laughs> they're not. They're not going to blow 75 million quid in this transfer window. Uh, they'll all be absolutely fine when the 23-24 accounts uh, come out this time next year. That's all that we can want, really. So, um, yeah, nothing to worry about in that regards. Welcome, Tom Holmes, to the club. Uh, we hope you go well at Reading and we'll look forward to seeing you next season. And that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks to James for joining me and uh, recollecting a, well, a rare FA Cup win against a lower league opposition. <laughs> and it was good to have. Um, thanks to you for watching or listening. Please keep your comments coming along. And again, if you um, see either of us at a game, feel free to uh, come over and chat. We're always uh, more than accessible and love hearing how much you're enjoying the podcast. Yet again, people came up to me against um, Bolton and said the same thing. And uh, we really appreciate all of your support. We are still closing in on 1,000 subscribers. We're up somewhere so around the 965 mark We're now. We're so close. We've got a massive special guest coming on our um, deep dive at the weekend. So if we can hit 1,000 by then, that would be absolutely fantastic. So if you've not yet subscribed to YouTube, please, please, please do. We'd really love to hit 1,000. Well, before that next cup game, actually, but before the end of the month, before the transfer window is closed. We're recording the deep dive at the weekend, by the way. It'll be out couple of days later it will it'll be out next week yeah absolutely i shouldn't shouldn't put too much pressure on it being out <laughs> straight away yeah but again if you hit subscribe you'll know exactly when that drops and you won't want to miss it because as i say we have got a very special guest joining us thanks as always to the hightown club for staging the podcast to sean grant and the wolfgang for our intro music and also to ed smith creative for all the designs that you see on set as always Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll have the deep dive with you next week and we'll also preview Everton away in the FA Cup. That'll be out at the usual time ahead of the game. Until then, come on you hatters. Actually, you, everyone in it has got this massive soul.